Well, you coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course. This is the Polar Express. The North Pole? I see. Hold this, please. Thank you. Is this you? Yeah. Well, it says here, no photo with the department store Santa this year. No letter to Santa. And you made your sister put up the milk and cookies. Mm -mm. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Rains, and I will be your conductor today. I want to invite you to hop on board the bullet train to Bethlehem. I think I'll be annoying my kids with this all Christmas long. Uh, our theme at Hope this year is, O Come All Ye Faithful. And in a room like this, we've got a lot of really faithful people. Uh, can we just begin by thanking God, praising God for the faithful volunteers and staff who've been working so hard uh, to put together the Christmas Eve services this year? Uh, we've got eight Christmas Eve services, and it's just it's a joy for me to watch everybody use their unique gifts and talents, and I'm, I'm so grateful to God for the faithfulness of this church. And now let's get right to it. Uh, the boy in the Polar Express is invited on board that train because it's Christmas time and he is struggling to believe. So the conductor says to him, this is your crucial year. And maybe this is a crucial Christmas for you as it relates to faith. You're here, but I mean, you don't really buy the Christmas story, this whole Jesus stuff, church stuff, organized religion. Uh, you sing the songs, O Come All Ye Faithful, but for some of you, you're not sure you belong in that category, and some of you are sure you do not want to belong in that category. So if that's you, as we get started, I just want to say you're in good company. Uh, the Apostle Paul has some things to say about faith in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says this. It's on the screen, and whether you're here in the worship center or if you're in the overflow in the reservoir, let's read this out loud together. Faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Paul says faith comes as we hear the message, as we hear the good news about Jesus. But I'm guessing if you think back over your life, the first time you heard the message, it didn't fill you with faith. And again, if that's true, if that's you, more good news for you. Because the people in the Christmas story in the Bible did not believe the message the first time they heard it. Back up to the beginning of Luke's gospel. And remember who Luke is. Luke's not a preacher. He's not a pastor. He's not working in a church. Luke is a physician. He has a real job. He's in the real world. But Luke finds out about Jesus, and when he hears about Jesus, it changes Luke's life. Luke becomes someone who wants to tell everyone about Jesus. So after the resurrection, Luke kind of becomes an investigative reporter, and he gathers a bunch of eyewitness accounts, people who had experiences with the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and Luke compiles all of these eyewitness reports and it's what we call the Gospel of Luke. Pretty early on, in just the fourth verse of uh, this Gospel, he tells us why he's doing all this. It's so you can be certain of the truth of everything you've been taught. So Luke wants people to hear about Jesus, 
wants people to believe in Jesus. He wants people to put their faith in Jesus. So he tells the story. Uh, early on in Luke's story, one of the main characters is an angel by the name of Gabriel. Remember, the job of an angel is to be a messenger and to deliver the message to the people God sends the angel to. So in the early pages of the Gospel of Luke, Gabriel is about as busy as an Amazon delivery driver in the month of December. He's just delivery after delivery after delivery. Now, the first delivery is to a man named Zechariah. He is a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. So Zechariah is a really faithful guy. Gabriel comes to Zechariah with this message. I know you think you're too old. I, need, I know you think your wife is too old to, to have a baby, but you're going to become parents. And they end up becoming the parents of John the Baptist. And, and you would think when this faithful priest, Zechariah, hears this news, he's going to believe it. He's going to be overjoyed. But nope, he's full of questions. How can I be sure that this will happen? He asks the angel. Next delivery is in Nazareth to Mary. And the message for Mary is you are going to be, God has chosen you to be, the mother of the Messiah. And again, Luke's investigating uncovers that Mary's initial response to this message, when she hears this message, it doesn't fill her with faith. Her initial response is confused and disturbed. Uh, we hear from Matthew what happens when Gabriel delivers a message to Joseph. <laughs> Uh, the message to Joseph is, hey, your fiancé is pregnant and you're not the dad. <sighs> not the best, most exciting news. Uh, Joseph doesn't receive this as good news. He decides to break off the engagement. And then, of course, there's the classic account of the first Noel in Luke chapter 2, where Gabriel appears to the shepherds, and the shepherds are terrified. Oh, come all ye faithful? Nobody has faith when they first hear this message. Person after person after person is hearing the good news of the birth of Jesus, and it doesn't fill them with faith. It doesn't make them joyful and triumphant. It fills them with questions and with doubts. What about you? Here you are at a Christmas Eve service. You've heard the story before. You've heard it many times. You've sung the songs before. You've heard the lyrics many times, and maybe you struggle to believe. One of the things that has stood out to me as I've been rereading the, the Christmas story from the New Testament this year, there's this change that takes place. Something shifts in the hearts of Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. When they initially hear the story, it's fear and questions and doubts, but the more they hear the story, their heart begins to open up to the possibility of faith. I wonder if you are carrying anything with you this Christmas that's keeping your heart closed off to faith. And I wonder if maybe as we hear the story one more time, something in your heart might shift. And your heart might open up to the possibility of faith. Maybe this is the Christmas your sorrow gets conquered by an unshakable joy. Maybe this is the Christmas your hurt gets healed in a divine embrace. Maybe instead of giving up this Christmas, you might make room in your heart for an eternal hope. Maybe you could have faith that God could take your disbelief and turn it into belief. That God could cover your sin in an ocean of grace. Maybe this Christmas, your darkness 
could be overshadowed by God's light. On average, 300,000 people pass through Times Square every day. Wouldn't it have been great to be there for that moment? The neon lights, the advertisements, the billboards go black for just a second. And then when the light comes back on, it's telling the Christmas story. Angels and shepherds and wise men and Joseph and Mary and the manger in Bethlehem. Christ the Savior is born, Emmanuel, the light of the world. My favorite part of that video is the way they capture the expressions on the faces of the people in Times Square at that moment. I don't know what you read on their faces. Tidings of comfort and joy. The thrill of hope. The wonder of God's love. One of the things I see on their faces is the look of a joyful surprise. And isn't joy one of the best parts of Christmas? I mean, you give a gift to someone that you care about and that look of joy when they unwrap the gift to discover it's exactly what they'd been hoping for, or maybe you surprise them so much it's a gift they didn't even realize that they wanted until they see it. 
Uh, earlier this month, we worked with one of Hope's mission partners, Prison Fellowship, and we threw an Angel Tree Christmas party. Uh, if you don't know, here's how Angel Tree works. Moms and dads and grandparents who are in prison start filling out an application for Angel Tree in the summer. Uh, they fill it out and they send that application to Prison Fellowship and it has uh, names and addresses and ages of family members uh, these incarcerated people would like to give a gift to at Christmas. And so we had the Angel Tree party on December 9th. And uh, just to be clear, the, the Angel Tree party is not just about giving a gift to people. There were 250,000 applications over, over the course of this year. And at Hope Ankeny, we were able to help 121 families by giving them gifts. But it's more than that. It's making a connection. We want to hear their stories. We want to get to know them. We want to share our stories with them. So it's a real joy-filled event. Uh, there are games and crafts and face painting and Santa shows up and snacks. And we tell them God loves them. God loves this world so much that God gave a gift the gift of God's son. And then they receive their gifts. And, and again, the looks on the faces of the people, whether it was hopesters who were helping out or whether it was angel tree families, that look of a joy-filled surprise, the, the feeling of giving and receiving a good gift, the joy of making a new connection, the joy of being reminded, that surprise, oh yeah, this is what matters most, to love and to be loved. Uh, for one of the families, the big surprise that day was a phone call. Uh, a dad who's in a prison in Minnesota was able to make a phone call and connect with his family during that party. We've been hearing from dads in prisons here in Iowa who are letting us know because of the Angel Tree Party, uh, their children are referring to them as dad again for the first time in a long time. Our theme for next year, the calendar year 2024 at Hope, is a church after God's own heart. And when I look at what happened in the ministry that takes place through something like the Angel Tree Christmas Party, I see us being a church after God's own heart. Because when you stop and think about it, if the good news of Christmas isn't good news for people who are incarcerated and for their families, then how can it be good news for any of us? The song that Kyle sang at the beginning of the message is a song by David Crowder. It's called, I've Heard About You. It's a real simple, I think, an important reminder. Faith comes from hearing. You think about Mary. As she hears this message from the angel Gabriel, she is confused and disturbed. I think it would be fair to say she is surprised, and it's not the good kind of surprise. It's the kind of surprise a kid has when they open up the present in its underwear and socks. Or, you know, not exactly what I was hoping for. But in her surprise, Mary keeps on listening. She asks questions. She thinks, she ponders. I'm not sure if Mary moves all the way from doubt to faith in this one encounter. I think she probably takes a baby step. I wonder if, if we could maybe agree that as Mary continues to hear this message, something in her heart opens to the possibility that maybe God is up to something. Maybe God is at work. Maybe God has a plan and maybe God's plan involves me. Maybe I can put my faith as surprising as this message is, I can put my faith in this message I'm hearing. Faith comes from hearing, and so I want to make sure you hear the Christmas story again this year. We'll back up to the Old Testament prophets. When Isaiah is writing about what's going to happen when the Messiah comes, when the Savior of the world comes, Messiah, uh, Isaiah says he will be called Wonderful Counselor. 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. The prophet Micah says something different, uh, similar, that the Messiah will be the source of peace. The angels sing to the shepherds of peace on earth. And then there's Zechariah, who is filled with disbelief at the news he's going to become a father. But when his son, John the Baptist, is born, he's filled with great faith. In fact, Luke tells us he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he has a vision for what the birth of Jesus is going to mean for our world. Here's part of Zechariah's vision. He says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. I don't know about you, I am drawn to this vision. A God of tender mercy. A God who shines his light into the darkness of this world, into the darkness of our lives. A God who guides us on the path to peace. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for you. I want that for this world. I want to have the kind of faith that believes God can bring about this vision on this planet. Oh, come all ye faithful. It's really not that surprising so many of us struggle to believe. Because even when we want to believe it's all true, something happens. You flip on the news for a second and you are immediately confronted with how disconnected our reality is from this biblical vision. For nearly two years now, Russia has been at war with Ukraine. Cities lie in ruins. Families have been devastated by death. Children have been traumatized by the ongoing threats and the injuries that they have sustained. Uh, since October 7th, we've been watching the violence unfolding in the Middle East. Hamas attacks Israel and the government of Israel retaliates. And children and families in that region are wondering, when will we ever be safe again? It's easy for us to overlook or ignore what's going on in the continent of Africa. Uh, did you know the Democratic Republic of Congo has been war-torn for nearly 30 years? There's about 100 armed rebel groups that are fighting with one another and fighting with a handful of national armies for control of the government, and really it's for control of the rich natural resources of that country. All of this violence of the last 30 years has led to a humanitarian crisis. The estimates are upwards of 6 million people have been killed in the conflict, and caught in the crossfire, 6.9 million people have been forced from their homes, and most of them are living in makeshift resettlement camps. Uh, closer to home, our peace gets disturbed by natural disasters. Things that happen close to home, things that we watch on the news, the fires, the wildfires in Hawaii, or the tornadoes that are so often uh, ravaging parts of this country. We've become far too numb to the violence of school shootings and to the fact that there are fire drills at school and tornado drills at school, and now there are active shooter drills. What is this lack of inner peace going to do to our lives? How is it going to impact us psychologically? What, what will be the impact to our faith in the years to come? Let's bring it even closer to home. For many of us, the reason we struggle to believe is because of a hurt in our lives. And as we're trying to 
heal the wounds of our past. Peace can be an elusive emotion. I started working in churches when I was 23 years old. I was in student ministry, so I'm, I'm working with middle school and high school students and their families. And I'd been on the job for just a couple of months when one of our most committed high school volunteers, a mom, came and sat down in my office to tell me that she and her husband of nearly 20 years were going to be getting divorced. I was single when I started working at that church, and so a lot of families would ask me to house sit if they were gone for the weekend or on a vacation, and some of the families even asked me uh, to be a manny for their high school sons. So if the parents were out of town, I'd show up and be the taxi driver and, you know, make macaroni and cheese uh, dishes, that sort of thing. Uh, One of the families I got really close with, their oldest son just constantly was just battling mental health. Really smart kid, one of the smartest kids I've ever met. Had lots of great questions, struggled with faith. But he came. He came to youth group. He came to confirmation. The final year that I was there, he came on a mission trip with the high school students. We went to New York City, and we had lots of great conversations that week about life and about faith. And one of the first funerals I ever spoke at was a couple years later after he had taken his life in college. Earlier this week, I was talking with a woman who was telling me, Her mom died nine years ago, and in the circumstances surrounding her mother's death, uh, she has not spoken to her brother or her father since her mom died. The family's fractured. I've been in ministry for 28 years, and in my experience, every family has their own version of those stories. Every family has their own hurt. Every family has their own unique brokenness. Every family struggles to find the path to peace. The great writer Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. It's set in Madrid, Spain, and one of the main characters is a guy named Paco. At the beginning of the story, Hemingway tells a joke about a father who comes to Madrid, takes out an ad in the personal column of the newspaper. The ad reads, Paco... Meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. It's signed Papa. The punchline to Hemingway's joke is that Tuesday at noon at the Hotel Montana, 800 Pacos showed up, hoping to make peace with their Papa. The path to peace is difficult to find. It's easy to hold a grudge. It's easy to point fingers. It's easy to cast blame. The wisdom of Scripture is don't repay evil for evil, but we love to get even. Actually, that's probably not true. We love to exact revenge. If somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back, and we want to make sure their pain is greater than our pain. Anybody remember The Princess Bride, that romantic comedy from the 1980s? The the main storyline of The Princess Bride is about finding true love. But there's a secondary storyline about revenge. Uh, One of the characters is trying to find the six-fingered man who killed his father. Uh, In my experience, people either love the princess bride or they cannot stand the princess bride. If you can't stand it, no worries. I'm not going to show a clip uh, from this film. I am going to show you a short video where Mandy Patinkin, the actor who plays this character, 20, 25 years after the movie comes out, he's being interviewed and he's talking about what his favorite line is in the film. Take a look. 
Well, there are two lines from The Princess Bride that I love. The one that everyone is very familiar with is, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's the popular one. But I heard another line from the movie about five, six years ago. I was in the gym working out, running through my lines, my songs for a concert. The, the TV was on, the movie was on the TV, but the sound was off because I was running my stuff. And I went up to my hotel room to have my dinner before I went to the theater. My wife was there and she had the movie on. It was at the end of the movie, right when Buttercup falls out the window into Andre's arms and Robin falls into Andre's arms. The man in black Carrie is sitting there asking me to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. And, and, and that 30-year-old Mandy and the 55, 58-year-old Mandy's watching this, watching the 30-some-year-old Mandy say a line that I said, it's in the movie, but I didn't really hear it as that young man. And for me, it's the most potent line in the whole film. And that line is, I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. And I love that line, and I love it for all of us, because the purpose of revenge, in my personal opinion, is completely worthless and pointless. And, and the purpose of existence is to embrace our fellow human being not be revengeful, and um, turn our darkness into light. And so that's the line I love from the movie. Our world has been in the revenge business for far too long. And maybe the way of this world has rubbed off on you. Maybe this year as we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, you could open your heart and ask God to help you trust, help you believe, help you put your faith in the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there is a better way. Oh uh -huh.
Thank you, Lindsay and Kyle. Now, the picture we're going to put up on the screen is a picture of a neonatal intensive care unit in a hospital in Gaza City. The first time I saw this image, I couldn't take my eyes off that little baby. Eyes wide open, completely dependent on someone else for life. A baby is helpless. A baby is powerless. So the word became human and made his home among us. It's the way John describes the birth of Jesus. Strange way for the eternal, all-powerful God to save the world. God chooses a manger for a throne. God empties himself. God gives up his divine privileges. And Jesus is born as a little baby. It's almost like part of what we're asked to believe Part of what we're asked to put our faith in when we look at the Christmas story, when we hear the Christmas story, it's the most powerful thing our God has ever done is choose to give up his power. Maybe you could put it this way. When we look at the manger in Bethlehem, when we look at the cross of Calvary, we see Jesus redefining power. Maybe when we look at Jesus, we're supposed to see the power of love. Uh, this year at Hope, we challenged ourselves as a congregation to read through the whole Holy Bible together, and some of you have done that. 
Some of you have read more of the Bible this year than you ever have before. Uh, We've preached from parts of Scripture that we hardly ever preach from. All kinds of reasons we did this, but one of the reasons is we could watch together the way the biblical writers weave their way on this journey to Bethlehem. Whether it's the family dysfunction of the book of Genesis or the rescue and deliverance of the book of Exodus, the highlights and lowlights of the history of the kings of Israel, the wisdom of the Psalms and the Proverbs, the visions of the prophets, it all is pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to this celebration. It's all pointing to his birth. In the birth of Jesus, we see power redefined in the teaching of Jesus, we hear power redefined. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Jesus says. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You love the people who love you in return, that's great, keep doing that. And I'm calling you to a higher love. Love your neighbor. Love everyone the way I have loved you. And then finally, in his death, we see power redefined. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, Jesus says. But if you give up your life, if you surrender it, if you pick up your cross and follow me, you will find, you will unwrap the greatest, most surprising gift. You'll find God's love, real love, true love, lasting love. I don't know what you were thinking about while Lindsay was singing that song. It's a song about relational disconnection, relational hurt, relational pain. Now, I don't know who those people are in your life you haven't talked to for a while or they haven't talked to you for a while and it's been so long you've maybe even forgotten what happened, what caused the rift in the first place. Maybe that's what you were thinking about. Maybe for some of you, you were thinking about a relationship with God. I talk to a lot of people who believe God's in the revenge business, that, that what God really loves more than anything else is when we mess up, when we make mistakes When we sin, God loves it because then God gets to punish us. And that's really what God is all about. A lot of people have that understanding of who God is. But when we look closely, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through the power of God's love. God's not in the revenge business. God's in the love business. And so the word became human and made his home among us. And he, Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, was full of unfailing love and faithfulness for you. All of us can tell stories of times in our lives we've put our faith in someone. Uh, Could be a family member, a friend, someone we work with. And they failed us. They let us down, disappointed us, hurt us. And, And so because of those experiences, it makes it really difficult for some of us to trust, to put our faith in this idea that God is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've been thinking about this Christmas Eve service since this summer. And as we have met and planned, as we have prayed, our constant prayer is that you would experience the unfailing love of God for you when you come to these Christmas Eve services. So if faith comes from hearing, I just want to make sure you hear it one more time. God loves you. God loves you. And and God doesn't love you because you're perfect or because you're good enough or because you've done enough good stuff and avoided enough bad stuff. God loves you because this is who God is. It's what God does. God loves you with unfailing love and faithfulness. And this God who comes to us, this God who becomes flesh, 
stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And just like it happened for Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, it can happen for you. Something can shift in your heart as God is knocking, and you can open your heart to the possibility of faith. Oh, come all ye faithful. The hope you thought you'd never find has found its way to you. If it's all true, it changes everything. That makes this Christmas your crucial Christmas. So hop on board. Take that step of faith this Christmas. I invite you to believe that maybe he's more than just a baby. He's just a baby, ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, two ears, one mouth and one nose. He's just a baby, cries out for mum's arms as he lies in a manger in the innkeeper's barn. He's just a baby, yet the sky changed its form as a new star appeared when this baby was born. He's just a baby. Yet the hosts of heaven sang hallelujah to this baby, hallelujah, son of man. He's just a baby, yet drove a mad king wild, who stained the streets with innocence, looking for this child. Why? Because he's just a baby, yet will walk on the seas, feed thousands with nothing, and perform miracles with ease. He's just a baby, yet will carry out the law, live a life of perfection so man will fear no more. He's just a baby, yet will speak to every nation, every broken heart and lost soul, he will fight for their salvation. He's just a baby, yet when they call him man, they will shout for crucifixion and drive nails through his hands. He's just a baby, yet at his final breath, all creation will shake, mourning his death. He's just a baby, yet when he's laid in his grave, he will rise three days later, victorious to save. He is just a baby, when we look in his festive cot. But the truth is, he's not just a baby. He is the almighty Son of God.